Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 25th is Ezra chapters 7 through 10. Ezra was a modern day expert, and this is the reason he was selected to go and lead this charge of the rebuilding and the reunification of Israel. It says in chapter 7, verse 10, Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of Yahweh, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. I wonder if some of the people Ezra was teaching were resistant to the things he taught. I wonder if there were people who said, that's the way things used to be, Ezra. You're so old-fashioned, or other such remarks to belittle him. And I would imagine that even before he determined in his heart to study the law of Yahweh, that God had elevated him and placed a special grace upon him. God is elevating many of you and placing a special grace upon many of you so that you will study his word and that you will teach its statutes and ordinances to the people of God. But it has to begin with the commitment in the heart to elevate God above everything else in order to succeed. We are coming to a day where God is no longer going to tolerate his people having their foot in two separate worlds at the same time saying, I'm a believer, and yet I'm going to continue building my own dynasty. God wants us to stop focusing on the world and on the wealth of riches that we can earn by marketing our services and start focusing on the advancement of the kingdom of heaven in this world. As we do that and we commit in our hearts to be devoted to his word and his principles and teaching them and making his name known, God is going to elevate us. He's going to promote many of us and he's going to further his kingdom through us. Because of Ezra's commitment, God gave him favor and God moved on the heart of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes sends a letter and he issues a decree that any Israelites who want to go to Jerusalem may go with Ezra in verse 13. And he says in verse 15, you're also to bring the silver and gold the king and his counselors have willingly given to the God of Israel and all the silver and gold you receive throughout the province. You may do whatever seems best to you and your brothers with the rest of the silver and gold according to the will of your God. God is moving in these kings and in verse 20 you may use the royal treasury to pay for anything else needed for the house of your God so this pagan nation that God exalted is now funding the kingdom of God to advance the people of God to give them a place to go back to and to get them funded so they can build the temple of God Ezra was essentially given a blank check and then he was told that it would be tax free in verse 24 be advised that you do not have 
authority to impose tribute, duty, and land tax on any priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And that decree was to the people living in the land and the local governing authorities. There's a very interesting story beginning in verse 15 that's somewhat cryptic, but if you take a moment and dig into the meaning of the Hebrew words, it gives us a more clear picture of what Ezra and the Holy Spirit through him are trying to communicate. I don't know that Ezra even had a full understanding of what he was writing at that time, but it's very interesting. Anytime you want to go a little deeper in the understanding of any of these stories, start looking up the meaning and the root meanings of the different words in the original language. This is where a Strong's Concordance comes in very handy, as well as a Hebrew dictionary. I gathered them at the river that flows to Ahava. Ahava is a place in Babylon. The name sounds like the Hebrew word Ahav. The Hebrew word Ahav means love. So it's this river that flows to love, at least on one level. It was also a very physical, literal place in Babylon. Of course, Babylon means the land of confusion. They had a problem. There were no Levites there. The descendants of Levi or Levi were where the priests came from. Levi's name, you'll remember, comes from the Hebrew word Levah. Levah means attached, and it gives the picture of an intermediary between God and mankind. That's what the priest did. He was a God and man. In the Old Testament and in many religions today, people still believe that we have to have a priest or an intermediary between us humans and God. We need a, a special people that are called apart to lead us into fellowship with God because we are incapable of getting there ourselves. And that was the case in the Old Testament before Jesus came. Of course, now Jesus came and he was our great high priest and he purchased our redemption and we can now boldly approach the throne of grace without anybody entering between us because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the problem that they faced was that there were no Levites, there were no intermediaries there. In verse 18 it says, Since the gracious hand of God was on us, they brought us Sherebiah. Now, if you just read the story, you think that's interesting, or maybe it's not so interesting. But if you look at the name Sherebiah, it means Yah has sent burning heat. Sherebiah was a man of insight, we're told in verse 18, descended from Machli. Machli comes from the Hebrew word kahla, which means beseech. And the root word means to be weak, afflicted, or contrite. So it gives us the sense of being in a state of humility where there's no other option than to beseech or to beg. Hashabiah was also among them, the Levites that were sent. And Hashabiah means Yah has taken account. Yah is a contracted form of Yahweh. 
God has taken account, and also Yeshaya. This is another form of the same word or name, Isaiah, and the name Isaiah means salvation of Yah. Again, Yah meaning Yahweh. And so if you put all of these words together, you can translate these couple of paragraphs to say, I gathered the sojourners, I, Ezra, the sojourners being the people leaving exile, the land of confusion, to go back to the promised land. I gathered the sojourners at the river that flows from confusion to love, but there was no one to help us. Because of his grace, God sent burning heat through a priest from one poor in spirit, and Yahweh took an account with his salvation. Friends, we are coming into a day in 2023 and beyond when God is pouring out burning heat on his people as we were willing to humble ourselves and be the contrite of heart, poor in spirit, which David was talking about in the Psalms, which Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5, which is being humble before him. As we've said before, humility is a primary currency in the kingdom of heaven. And if we will humble ourselves, God will exalt us. If we will get on our faces without abandon in front of him, he will lift us up. We need the burning heat of God's fire to fall upon us so that we can move in power because we don't have the power apart from God moving in us. One of the reasons that people laugh and mock Christians today is because we have no power. We talk about a gospel that we try to make converts, and yet we struggle with the same sins as the people we are trying to convert. Because of the hypocrisy and the powerlessness of the Christian people today, they have become a mockery and quite frankly, a very poor reflection of who God is. In verse 25, Ezra says, I proclaimed a fast by Ahava, the river, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us. I did this in verse 22 because I was ashamed to ask the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us because I had already told him that the hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him, but his fierce anger is against all who abandon him. Ezra saying, how could I talk about how great my God is and then turn around and ask this king for help? In other words, I am dependent upon the power of God to protect and prosper me and my mission, and I'm not going to turn to the ways of the world when I claim that God is my salvation. In chapter 9, we come to this heartbreaking passage about the intermarriage of the Israelites with all of the nations around them. They had been forbidden for hundreds of years, if not a thousand years at this point, from marrying into all of the other nations around them, taking wives from these other nations who do not worship the God of heaven. Now, some people would say that this is cruel and it's racist, but that's not the case. If you read your Bible carefully, 
as many of you, if not all of you have been doing, there are dozens of examples of people such as Ruth the Moabite, who is King David's grandmother, who converted from other nations and became Israelites. It's never against custom for the people of other nations to come in and become part of Israel as long as they are willing to conform to the laws of Israel and abide by them. This is not a racial or ethnic issue. This is a heart issue. During the exile, many of the Jewish people compromised themselves and stopped being true to their identity and began intermingling with the people around them, sacrificing their own heritage in order to become like the people they were around. There's an old saying that says, when in Rome, do as the Romans. And friends, that is not the way God tells his people to live. God says, be in the world, but not of the world. God says, come out of her, my people. Many Christians today, even in America and in Western society, want their children to believe in God and live a Christian lifestyle, and yet they still want to practice the cultural behaviors that will lead to the destruction of their children. Friends, we don't need to send our kids off to high school proms just because that's what the world does. We don't need to let our teenagers date and go out alone in cars by themselves just because that's what our society does. We don't need to read secular books and romance novels and watch romantic movies just because that's what the world does. We don't need to let our kids stay up all hours of the night doing who knows what because that's what teenagers in our society do. It's time that we stop having our primary identity marked by the nation we live in or the political party that we're part of or the sports team we grew up cheering for or whatever else comes to mind. We need to be set apart for service unto God a people who are disciplined, who are studying the word regardless of what the world thinks. Get your big fat study Bible and take it to Starbucks with you and don't care about what the people walking in think. We don't need to be incognito. We need to be set apart. When Ezra finds out about how the world has compromised the people of God and they have been intermarrying with other people, he is cut to the heart and he fasts and tears his robe and even pulls out some of his hair. It wrecked him. He was heartbroken. We should be heartbroken over sin as well. We should do what Ezra did and fast and pray and ask God to come and change us to set our children free, to set our brothers and sisters free. And then ending these marriages of unfaithfulness, these allegiances that are unholy, that are impeding our walk with God. Listen, it's painful when we stop sinning. It costs us relationships with people we care about. I've been walking with God for almost 22 years and I still regularly think about my friends who were like brothers to me 
who stopped talking to me after I became a Christian. It hurts sometimes, but I would never go back. It's important for us to remember no one ever sins in a vacuum. There is no victimless sin despite what the world wants to tell you. There is always a victim. First and foremost, it's the sinner. Secondly, it's all the people they affect. And even if they're thinking that they're not harming anybody else because they're just doing something in the privacy of their own home, it is affecting the people they love. It is affecting the people who manufactured the content that they are consuming. There is always an effect. Friends, God is calling us all to take an inventory. What are the things in our lives that are the unholy alliances that are just like the Hebrew people intermarrying with the pagan people? Where are we compromising? Where are we partnering with the enemy? What are the ways that we've allowed sin to creep in and we've excused it? God is saying, end those unholy alliances. End those places in your life where you've compromised. Give him all of who you are. He spared nothing when he ransomed you and I on the cross of Calvary. He gave all of himself for us in a marriage. It only works when both sides give all of who they are. If you are indeed the bride of Christ, give him all of who you are. And may he bless you as you seek him. Thank you for being on this journey with me, my brothers and sisters. I love you guys. See you tomorrow.